So this is Sean Six from the Liquid Conversations, and we are in the green room at the Hard Rock Cafe in Boston, and I am here with who? Dino Monoxilis. And let's do the introduction. What, give, give me your, <laughs> give me your list of things that you do. Who do you work for? What oh do you my gosh, uh, product specialist, senior product specialist for Ampeg. Okay. Uh, artist relations manager for Ampeg and Mackie. Um, I, I like to consider myself a professional bass player, for lack of a better word. Um, gig nationally, internationally. Right. Um, father, father, husband. I guess those are the those are the two most important. It's kind of funny that after a certain amount of time, kind of being involved in careers or, or jobs that are around the music industry, that list of what we do gets longer and longer and longer. <laughs> it certainly does. Now, to go along with that, and especially with the side about you being a professional bass player, you went to school for music too. I did. So you went to school I where? I went to school Musicians Institute in okay. Hollywood. Um, ironically, I grew up in Boston or the Boston area, and um, you know had one of the best music schools in the world 30 miles from my house Berkeley Berkeley yep. um, but after I graduated high school uh, my dad thought you know works work a few years you know find out what it's like in the real world before right. you go off to school so instead of going to Berkeley I always wanted to move to Hollywood okay. that was my dream was to get into the metal scene in Hollywood right. and, and do that whole thing so going to Hollywood and going to MI was my was my excuse to get out to Hollywood to see what that world was really right like. now when you look back at it now after the amount of time that's passed about all the things that you've done and become a father and a husband and see different aspects of the industry. What do you think when you look back at that education? Because some people say that music education isn't really music education. Well, you know, and it's it's funny because I, I am still involved in music ed in a lot of ways. Um, and it's evolved so much over the last 30 years when I went to school. Um, I would do it all over again in a minute. Uh, not so much for the musical education aspect of it, but for, for the experience, the networking. It, it really, it's a shaking hands, kissing babies aspect, really. Absolutely. So it is. It's almost yeah. like you're a politician. You go there, you make connections with people, you get introduced to people, you might end up in a band or deal with a company or something like that. So it, would you say that the, the real aspect of the music education is not so much the learning the technical part of it, but learning just the industry. Learning the industry, exactly. Right. right. And I, I mean, I learned a lot about the notes. Right. Because there was a lot of stuff that I didn't know. Right. But yeah, it was learning the industry. Yeah, because any higher educational institution like that can teach you how to play a guitar or how to play a piano or how to play drums or something like that. Uh, there's plenty of plenty of colleges, plenty of state colleges that have music Absolutely. programs, and you can get a bachelor's degree in music, and you can learn how to run a soundboard or be an audio engineer along those lines. But not everybody is going to teach you the ins and outs, you know, uh, the unspoken words about the music industry. Right, right. And that's you know obviously one of the things here about Berkeley too. And it it is interesting that it's like you rejected the local environment even though it had it was that good. Yeah. And it's like to get out and see the world and obviously it worked out for you yeah so oh yeah it was I mean I, I ended up actually so I went to school and then after I graduated I stayed out there for about another seven years okay and pursued that and did and did the playing musician did the playing musician the touring musician the what we called you know the white van tours across the United States the 15 passenger <laughs> yeah <Ford Connor> line. <laughs> sleeping on sleeping on Ampeg cabinets you know <laughs> yeah, oh yeah right. yeah okay buddy your turn to drive oh well, yeah yeah because then you get all the people that say oh you're in a band it must be so <laughs> great you're on tour this is 
awesome. You're like, no, this is pretty, this sucks kind of, dude. It's like, you know, I could go on vacation and not be on tour and probably be put up better than when I'm actually on tour. You know, but again, you know, would I do it now at, at you know, at 51 years old? No, probably not. But would I do it at 20 again? Absolutely. Now, I have a family too. And, and you know, looking at my life, I, I can totally appreciate that. You know, I don't have the same experience with touring like you do, but also being working in the radio industry, I might as well be. Yeah. I might as well be on tour. So yeah. it's it's the same, really the same aspect. So yeah, I coined a phrase this weekend with some other people that are were in bands, national touring bands, and all their techs, their road managers, stuff like that, people drive the van drive the you know if they're lucky enough to have a tour bus it's hurry up and wait yeah yeah very much so they want you to show up at three o'clock at a venue to sound check you do that you sit there you hear somebody sound check the same note for 10 minutes (laughs) and then there's a tech problem and then you know there's something else or their bus is going to get towed or something along those lines and then they don't play until 10 30 right so it's like now what do we do well, we wait. We, we maybe try to get some sleep or whatever. Now, off mic talking to you, it's interesting. You go from a actually organized musical education. You go to playing in a band and surviving in, you know, Southern California, uh, getting that aspect under your belt, getting that experience. But you transitioning over to the professional corporate side of life <laughs> with Ampeg and then also with Mackie. How the hell did that happen? <laughs> it's a long story. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, I kind of got, well, you know, of course, eight years living in L.A., being a musician, you um, you accrue a substantial amount of debt. Let's put it that way. Very too. true. Um, so at the time, my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, uh, was living out in L.A. with me. And um, we had an offer to move back to Boston okay. and live with her parents to unbury us from debt. And at that point, I was actually going to go back to school and get my bachelor's and hopefully my, my master's right. uh, in music ed. But um, I started working in a music store. And next thing you know, you know, the Ampeg rep, who was a very good friend of mine, started having me out on the road with him doing basically training because he wasn't a bass player. He's going pitching all these bass amps to these stores. And that turned into NAM shows, which eventually turned into kind of a full-time gig, just, just being a and- the, the rest is kind of history. You yeah. get, you know, you have a life, have bills, yeah. get married, have kids, have a house, a mortgage, all that stuff, and you got to pay for it somehow. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, like I tell a lot of guys, you know, that your your focus doesn't change, but your priorities do. Very good point. Uh, you, you're still driven. Absolutely. You're, st- you're, still, you're still staying up late, getting up early, stuff like that. You're still doing all the things that you would still do if you were trying to run a band or yeah. be in a band. There's a kind of a 50-50 response. Uh, I've had conversation with people before about whether or not being in a band or being a musician is actually a job. And some people say it is entirely because you do the same thing as you do in a job. You have to work to support yourself. You work hard to learn your craft, to learn your skill. And, you know, you're away from your family and your kids and, you know, you're on the road. So all those things are not fun. Right. Okay. So, yeah, that sounds like work. Yeah. Uh, But then again, there's no other job in the world that would ever put up with any of this. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Okay. Most jobs, you know, you look at a corporate company, you look at, you know, uh, a major player like Ampeg, Mackie, and 
you think if that was the banking industry, there's oh, yeah. no way in hell they would put up with stuff like yeah. that. You know, yeah. and that's where people start saying, okay, well, that's not a job. That's that's not a job. Then I have had uh, a friend of mine. He's a he's a drummer in a, a nationally touring band. They've been around for 20 years, and he gets very upset when people say that what he does is not a job. Um, he's like it, it diminishes the effort and time that he's put into yeah. what he does to pay oh, yeah. his bills. But it's such a fine line balancing those two lifestyles together. It certainly is. And I've, you know, it's like, and I, I jokingly say to a lot of people, I've never worked a day in my life. Um, but I've probably worked the hardest in my life doing what I do now, balancing that that balancing act. Because, um, you know, one of the things I started in, in, an, in an early time was when I would go out to a gig, I'd always say, okay, daddy's going to work now. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I started associating work and playing music as the same same thing. And it started becoming work. So now it's like, and I'll tell people or I'll tell my wife or my kids, yeah, daddy's got a show tonight. So you started to get yourself into a point where even though you might have had the corporate side of the industry as far as employment, the fun side of it, the non-work side, you started to drift into that mentality. Did you lose the fun aspect when you were playing? Did oh. you feel like, okay, this is not cool anymore? Oh yeah, it sucked. It sucked for a long time. And um, you know, what was happening too, I wasn't necessarily, I was, I was a jobber. I was a freelancer. Anybody that would call, you know, get a jazz gig on a on a you know twenty dollar jazz hit on Tuesday night. Hired gun. You were yeah, the hired gun. And I wasn't a part of anything. Right. I was basically working and playing because it was my trade, my craft. But it was this is how I was putting bread on the table. Being in the position I am and talking to a lot of different artists and a lot of people that are involved in the industry from different facets of it is that it seems like the people that see both sides are the ones that start drifting off into that kind of yeah. fine line, that kind of gray area where it's like okay, this isn't as fun as I thought it yeah. was anymore. Or somebody who's on tour for, you know, 18 months and says, okay, th it, enough is enough. Yeah. I can't do this anymore. And you have to take two years off. Yeah. And people are like, you must be rich. You're a touring musician. <laughs> it's, it's like, you, it's, it's all, it's every dream that we thought it could have been in the eighties. And you're like, nope, be careful what you ask for. Cause right. it will happen. Yeah. You know, I have this conversation more and more with people because people are starting to see the music industry as an industry. We've all known that it was an industry before. If you get involved in it, you already know this dog eat dog. It's very corporate. It's it, There's a lot of it that's money driven, but people still have the perception that it's the fun part. And you can probably attest to this more too, especially with the industry that you are involved in. The technology is starting to change people's perception of it. Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, things are becoming very tech driven, very, very detailed science. It, there's always been science involved with it, but it was more of a magician's mystique when you think of how somebody recorded an album. Yeah. Now you're like, this is the guy that was sitting in the back of your class in high school that you thought was just the tech nerd. Yeah. And now he's the one that's recording your album. Yeah, exactly. 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 And I, I mean, I've got a 14 year old kid that lives across the street from me. He's got more YouTube hits on his, you know, on his rap channel than I do on, you know, it's like, hey, wait a second. <laughs> That's awesome. That's <laughs> the best part right there. Yes. And OK, so you go to you go to MI, yeah. you you gig around the Hollywood uh, L.A. area. Uh, you do this for you know shy of a decade and then you get involved with with Ampeg. How do you feel as a musician about these young kids that they go to a music store, they spend five grand, they go back to grandma's basement, 
and they record an album and they're on Warp Tour next year. God bless them. You have no problem with that whatsoever. I, I really don't. I really don't. I, I guess I guess that's better. I would rather see that and nothing against any of the reality shows, but I think people kind of have a misskewed idea of how you make it in the music business and it's Correct. not auditioning for a reality show. I'm not saying that there, there's anything wrong with those because a lot of great talent has come out of American Idol and, right. and The Voice. And, but I think like, you know, like my parents think, well, wait a second, my son has been going to school and, and basically killing himself for the last 40 years to make it in the music industry. Right. But people have this skewed perception that, well, you get on a reality show and, you know, six months later, you're a rock star. I'd rather see guys go out, buy gear, load it into grandma's basement, mm -hmm. bang it out. And and yeah, next year, if they're on, on the Vans tour, the Warp tour, that's great. And it's funny too, because some people share the exact same opinion as you and other people are like, put off by it. They're like, well, they didn't slug it away in a dirty nightclub for 10 years trying to get discovered or to do whatever. They didn't pay their dues. And, you know, and all right. So, I mean, the other argument to that is show me how many nightclubs are actually supporting live music these days where these kids can go play. It's a valid point because that part of the industry, and you're seeing that more and more often where it's becoming a lot more difficult. It's not like it was 40 years ago, 30 years ago, where there was a venue on every corner. Right. You know, here with the Hard Rock Cafe, we have the luxury that there is a venue in this location, but venues are disappearing. Even in this city, even here in Boston, venues, it almost seemed like for a little blip that we had a chance where venues were kind of making a recurrence, yeah. like they were coming back, like, yep. the, like the spark was back. And then you'll have one that'll say, nope, can't do it anymore. Yep, yep. Uh, we're bankrupt. Uh, and they drop off. So it's, yeah, it's making it more difficult. And that's the technology. The technology is affecting yeah. that also too, where you don't need the venues the same way. You don't need to spend a million dollars to record an album. You can do it for five grand. That's right. Uh, or less. That's Actually, right. if you're smart and you know how to run the equipment, you can do it with a $200 laptop from from you know the local electronics store. Yep, exactly. And and that's scary. For, I think that's scary for older artists, older tech people. They're like, wait a minute. I just spent the last 40 years of my life learning this trade, this craft, this, this magic, and you don't have to do that anymore. Yeah, yeah. And that that yeah, that to that respect, yeah, it is a very valid. You point. you come in almost being like <laughs> it's a grumpy old man standing on the porch going, "Get off my lawn!" Yeah, and you're thinking, "Well, I don't want to be disgruntled like that. I don't want to be jaded." But there is some truth to it because we do see certain parts of our society now that are very entitled, yeah. and they don't think that they have to wait. They think they're going to get out of college and have a six figure salary, <laughs> and they're going to be living you know the high roller lifestyle, and they realize that they're a half a million dollars in debt from their college yeah. and they're going to be eating ramen for the next 10 years. Yeah. But on the other hand too, I mean, if they're, if, if they can figure out a way to make it work, right. then, then more Go power to them. Absolutely. Uh, you know, my 14 year old daughter has, she's, she has taken violin lessons, saxophone lessons, guitar lessons, and she'll take them for like a, a month or two months. And she realizes it takes a lot of work. Right. Every and, day. And she hears All me day. playing. She's like, yeah. well, dad, you, you know, you can play that. It's like, well, yeah, honey, I've been, I've been playing for 40 years though you've been playing for a month yeah you know that i sounded like you when i was a month that's into the, it. that's the younger generation's mentality but again we started to sound like we're the grumpy old exactly. men now at this point <laughs> uh but yeah i mean and it is it's a it's a 
It is a very slippery slope on how the music industry is going to be able to handle this. You working for a company that sells gear, sells a, you know a technically advanced product to musicians to make their job easier, right. to make it sound better, to make it so they can travel because now an Ampeg head might be slightly lighter than it was yeah. 20 years ago. <laughs> but you know you work for that side of it to make it easy on the musician or easier on the musician. And, and then you have some of these musicians that say, well, I want to do it old school. Yeah. I, wa- I want it to be like it was, you know, 40 years ago. And that's weird. Uh, we can't, it's, it's very slippery where we, we're trying to blend the two together, but we're in a kind of a weird spot right now where it's sort of kind of gelling, yeah. but not really. Yeah. I mean, vinyl's back. Yeah. Oh yeah. That, that's. It's been back. It's like, we're, you know, what the hell happened to it? Where'd it go? And why all of a sudden now is it popular? Again? Yeah. Well, same, you know, I mean, two bamps. Yeah. Two bamps, tw- uh, two inch tape, you know, and yeah, it's true. And there, there really is. There's, um, there's like a renaissance in that old technology that I think a lot of a lot of not just musicians but a lot of listeners are getting back into well okay so looking at this aspect then too with with Ampeg how is how is a company like Ampeg approaching that Uh, good question so you know obviously we've had the two iconic amps that we've had for years of the B15 which was in every recording studio and then of course the SVT which you see it on every every stage Um, in probably the last I'm gonna say probably the last seven to ten years we've focused a lot on lighter weight amplifiers, Class D technology, stuff that makes makes the, the amps lighter. Right. Um, and Not as much product inside the case. Right, but, yeah. right. And, and it's funny because, you know, there, there's tone t- issues that, that players deal with. And in my clinics, I'll ask people, I'll say, show of hands, how many people listen to vinyl? And you'll see a couple of hands go up. All right, how many people listen to CDs? You see more hands go up. And then I pull out my iPhone go, yeah. how many people listen to songs on their iPhone? And every everybody's hand goes up. And it's, well, that's a matter of convenience. So I can't necessarily bring my entire vinyl collection on on an airline with me, but I, of course. I can bring my phone. Same thing with an amplifier. Right. You know, if you're gigging four or five nights a week, you want something that's lightweight and portable. But if you're really going for the original gig, the tone and your heart and soul is into this one project. Big, big heavy head. Exactly. And then you got a massive cab that you're trying to roll around exactly. to. And hopefully the ramp, it, you don't lose <laughs> grip of it while you're pushing it up the ramp on the stage because it'll crush you. Carrying it up the fire escape. Yeah, it'll cr- I've, I've actually had the distinct pleasure of pushing one of those uh, Ampeg cabs around and stuff like that and be like, if this falls on me, I'm dead. Yeah, yeah. This thing is going to crush me. It weighs more than I do. So, <laughs> yeah, because, you know, and also, too, that, that convenience is changing about how we hear music. Like you said, asking yeah. people, how many in the room have, you know, listened to vinyl? You're hearing a, a slightly different sound. You know, uh, it's warm. It has flaws in it. There's cracks and snaps and pops. and But the music has a bigger audio spectrum behind it. It's rich. You listen to the stuff that's on your iPhone and it's compressed so much, yeah. you know, and people had the same complaint when CDs came out too. Yes. Yeah. You know, it was like, it, well, it's kind of made the music impersonal sound. Yeah. But now there's electronic trickery that we can make this oh, yeah. oh. go right back to what we thought yeah. it should sound like. And it's compressed in the little tiny chip inside your mobile yep. device. I see that in the radio industry. A lot of people are like, well, you know, your voice might sound different on the stick mic that we're holding here in a green room. Why does your voice sound different when you're 
you're doing an interview at the station. Well, it's compressors. That's why. Right, it's right. Comple- and also the microphone that I'm using is uh, a, a hell of a lot better than the one I'm using right now. Yeah. And some people don't want, if you're not a gearhead, you're not a, an audiophile, you don't think about that. You just think about going to a show, tuning out, having a good time, hanging out in the parking lot, having some beverages with friends and releasing all that energy and all that tension yeah. and stress that you had all week. If you're the guy in the back of the room running the board, you're having a mental breakdown <laughs> because you, you, your head has not shut off and you're like, I don't like the way this room sounds. Yeah. I, can't, I can't get this to, I can't oh, yeah. control this enough right now. How do I, how do I, how do I get this Mackie board to, <laughs> to overcome this room that's got drop ceiling tiles? In right. It? Right. <laughs> you know, or something along those lines. Yeah. Now, how often do you get a chance to teach your clinic? It actually, it's funny you say that because we were just discussing that today that we're looking at doing a Northeast down to Mid-Atlantic States run okay. in April. So usually I'll do, you know, on a, in a good year, I'll do three or four, like, couple-week runs of clinics, and that usually involves a store each night. Um, last year, and it, it also depends on, you know, how much product Ampeg is releasing in the course of a year, right. too. So right. It's going along with their marketing plan, Absolutely. Too. Absolutely. So this year, we released a couple of new stomp boxes. So, you know, anytime there's a new release with gear, I'm always trying to get out on the road and visit stores. And obviously, you have conventions and trade shows like, you know, uh, Winter NAM, Summer NAM, stuff yep. like that. And you have those options where you can get your stuff out there. And you could do mini clinic. You guys did presentations. I, I watched you guys at NAM yeah. this year um, amongst the chaos of the 19,000 booths that they have there now, <laughs> uh, the whole new wing. Uh, I, God bless them at the Anaheim Convention Center because that place is just expanding like crazy. Yep. It's like a mall. It's yep. so big on the inside. But you still get a chance to do presentations not only to sell your own stuff, but also to answer questions. Absolutely. Answer tech questions. Yeah. There's some guy in the back of the room says, you know, look, I've been playing bass for, you know, 25 years and now I'm doing engineer work and uh, how do I do this? Yeah, yeah. How do I handle this particular problem? And you guys can handle all that tech stuff too. Yep, it's, it's, uh, I love trade shows for that, for that aspect because, you know, if we didn't have customers buying our stuff, we, we wouldn't, That's I wouldn't be the there. Game, right? Yeah. And um, every trade show, there's always one person, whether it's a guy or a girl, bass player, that will come up to me, like when you least expect it and approach you and say, Dino, I just want to shake your hand. You don't know me. I've watched all your videos. You're the reason why I bought a V4. You're the reason why I bought this piece of gear. I, it's, you know, this is my first NAM show. It's been a dream for me to come to NAM and 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 meet you and talk to you. And that's like, that's worth the price of admission right there. You like walk out of the room and secretly give yourself a high five. Like, yeah. Yes. Yeah, awesome. absolutely. You know, it's like, I finally got I it I feel across. like Steve Martin and the jerk. Yes. I'm somebody. Yes. You finally, you're like, <laughs> yes, I got through to somebody. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, that is is pretty wild because really maybe you don't realize all the time I, I mean maybe if a person's personality is self-absorbed enough they'll realize all the time that yeah. they make it but really if you're you know if you're a person that says look I do this because it's I'm still passionate about it first and foremost and you have somebody come up like that that makes a big difference absolutely that, really, that validates everything that you've taken the time to do yeah yeah now I, I am passionate about it and I and I guess to my to my co-workers credit or what they say I, I take things personally a lot Especially, you know, the one person that comes up and says, "Hey, you know what? Your product sucks." Because there are people that say that. Of course, you can't please everybody. And and I that that hurts me just as much as the guy that wanted to meet me makes me, you know, because it's like, well, man, man, this is this is my flag here. Why? Why do you why do you think our product sucks yeah. so much? And if it does suck so much, tell us how to make it better. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Give us feedback so we know how. Because I mean, you can have people that are sitting in a closed room, you know, doing all kinds of crazy scientific formulas and crunching numbers and try to figure out how we can do this, that, and the other thing with your product and how to get it to 
the people at a reasonable price and in a reasonable quickness. But if you don't know there's a problem, exactly, you're not going to do anything. You know, you don't know it's broken. So how how the hell do you fix it? You know, so when you have somebody, you have that one grumpy old man, disgruntled guy in the back of the room <laughs> at NAM going, "Wait a minute, you know, why does why does this board do this yeah. for something like through Mackey? Uh, you know, for me, you know, I'm always running boards. Uh, I'm handling stuff like that all the time. So if I got a tech problem, I'm on the phone. Sure, or I'm on the website or going through interactive stuff now where you can chat with somebody at 3 a.m. or whatever. Yeah. That's and, you know, and say, is there is there some sort of cord that I can make this plug into my laptop that you know because even though my board is not a USB output, yeah. so how how do I make this happen? Yeah, and you know, there's always somebody that's sitting there that's way more of an expert about it than I would be telling me. And you know, well, hey, maybe you guys should make you know an individual you know cord that makes that happen. So not everybody that can afford to buy a board that runs USB output can just buy can just the, do t- that. the seven dollar cord yeah. to make it plug into your iPhone or yeah. something along those lines. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, it's you know you get feedback, customer feedback. Yeah. Oh, I would I would rather have a customer come to me and say that than go on you know a, a forum and right. say, hey, I bought this piece of gear and it really you know it's not doing or it broke or it sucks or whatever. I'd rather have them come to me so that I can present that question. Well, what can we do to make it better? What what was your issue with it? Good customer service. Yeah, of course. You know, and of that's course. it. It is a dog eat dog, mean, rotten, and nasty, <laughs> horribly vicious industry, the music industry. As much as we love it, we all have to admit that that's the way it is. Yeah. So when you're involved in that side of it, you want to say, well, we actually care. Yeah, yeah. We actually care, and that's what makes companies like Ampeg and Mackey an industry standard for a lot of people. Yeah, I think that's, so. That's how their name is recognizable. You know, there's tons of musical instrument and gear companies that have a name that everybody just automatically perks up when they hear. Oh, I know that. Even if they don't play, they're like, oh, I know what that means. Yeah. I know, I've, I, I see that logo everywhere. Yep. I know exactly what that Ampeg logo is. Okay, now I understand what it is. Okay. Yep. And, you know, that makes, you know, the reasoning behind it say, well, you know, we're still here after all this time because we are a good company. Yeah. You know, yeah. we try to make quality product. We try to make sure that we're not gouging you on the price and stuff like that. So, yep. And we try and stay in touch with the guys that are playing our stuff, that are right. using our stuff. Right. And for you to work for a corporation that long is, you know, obviously you want to be proud of where you work. So if it's sidestepping your ethical values, I guess would be the best way to put it, then obviously, you know, being a musician and going and having that excitement to leave the New England area, leave Massachusetts and go to Hollywood, California and do all this stuff. Yeah, obviously you want to work for a good company. Yeah. Awesome. Dino, you know, I appreciate it very much. Thank you for taking the time to come on the Liquid Conversations and uh, hopefully we can have you back on again soon. I'd love to. Thank you for having me.